insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Okay, we're back. This is hour two. We only have three hours together. So if you were thinking about getting on the air, dial this number now. 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And just remember, today is the annual Walk for Life in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of snow on the ground, so not everybody's able to get there. So safe travels to those of you who are on your way there. And uh, be aware that you can participate and show your solidarity with the marchers and the unborn babies, wherever you may happen to be. Even if you're in Hawaii, you can participate. And you can do this in a couple ways. Number one is decide on some little act of mortification today. Could be fasting, could be uh, abstaining from a favorite food or beverage, uh, could be something else. Uh, Alan from Attleboro, Massachusetts says he's fasting from negative thoughts. George from Jacksonville, Florida says, I'm going to attend Mass and no radio other than relevant radio, of course. And I'm going to eat only one meal and two small meals. These are little ways of entering into the suffering that goes on because of the evil of abortion. Now, we have lots of good ideas for you. If you want to get some creative ideas, just go to relevantradio.com slash fast, relevantradio.com slash. We're not selling you anything. We don't sell anything. It's always free. And one freebie we have for you today is a cool little e-booklet. It's a booklet, but it will come to your email address right away when you sign up there, relevantradio.com slash fast. And you may say, well, I don't know how to talk about the pro-life cause. I believe it, but I, I don't know how to defend it. Or every time somebody starts up on the pro-abortion stuff, I get tongue-tied. Or I don't know what to say. Well, this little book is for you, and it's free. And all you have to do is get it, is just go to relevantradio.com slash fast. Tell us where you want to email it, and presto, it will be there in your email box in moments. And that little booklet is designed to show you how you can remain calm and not be put on the defensive, and have intelligent, thoughtful answers to the craziness in support of abortion. You really want this booklet, and that's how you get it. Just go to relevantradio.com slash fast. Uh, back to the phones, 888-914-9149. We'll go to Mike now in Albuquerque. Hello, Mike. How you doing? So my comment is the uh, last caller wanted additional monies to go to African-American families. The problem with that is in the 50s and 60s, African-American families had both parents. Now, with all the monies that they get and the way the welfare system is set up, it pays for the family to be broken apart, for no man to be in the house, and for the woman mm -hmm. to have additional kids. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking More about. Money. It's, a, it's a terrible phenomenon in that community. Yeah. Uh, the government help has not been a help to the African-American community. Not in the way that it was intended, that's for sure. That's for yeah. sure. So what would you do if you were president for a day, Mike? What would you do if you could just, by executive fiat, change something? What would you change? I would, uh, I think I would change the, uh, some of the rules on uh, uh, where it makes it, 
where they get more money for not having a father in the family, I'd offer additional help for the father being there Mm -hmm. and bringing the family back together. I like that. And that would only be for a short time because everything gets uh, abused. Yeah, when you're dealing with human bureaucracies, it's inevitable. But we could minimize that by having a more sensible approach to how you implement these things. Um, People love bureaucracies because if you can get in on that gravy train, there's money in your pocket. And if you can become a bureaucrat and justify your existence... Do you ever see the movie, um, Cyrus, what's it called, um, where the guy doesn't do any work and he winds up getting promoted? What's that, Office? Office Space? Office Space, okay. Mike, I'm not recommending the movie. I'm not, because there are a couple of bad parts in it. But there's um, there's this scene where they're, they're doing like a downsizing evaluation and they're interviewing employees to find out what they do. So because what they have to do you say it as you do around here, Patrick? <laughs> That's right. So picture yourself, Mike, in the conference room, and you got these two corporate guys, and they're asking you, what do you do? Because, you know, you might be downsized. They want to figure out who they can let go. And this guy's job was to take a piece of paper from one department and walk it over to another department. That was his job. That's what he did. And when I saw that, I thought, bingo, that is like the perfect description of bureaucracy, where when you get people into these positions, it really could be easily automated or something like that. But they have to justify their existence. They have to justify their paycheck. And they're not easily going to let go of that, especially in a government position. So to your point, Mike, I think that's where a lot of this waste has happened. You have this massive superstructure of people involved in bureaucracies and they want them to continue forever because they want to get paid for as long as they can. So hence the, the more uh, pinpoint accuracy, better, what's the word I'm looking for here? More effective, let's say policies like what you're espousing were never really tried because what would happen if the problem were resolved, things got back to normal all those people in the bureaucracy would be out of jobs, wouldn't they? They don't want that. That's for sure. And, you know, it's funny because I'm I'm retired military. Mm-hmm. And in the military, if you do a good job, but you keep your head down, you don't cause any waves, you get promoted. If you try and do the right thing and protect your junior enlisted, you end up getting in trouble because you're causing waves. Mm-hmm. So the squeaky wheel doesn't always get the oil. <laughs> Sometimes the squeaky wheel gets taken off and thrown yeah. into the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is your message, Billy, don't be a hero. Just do your work and keep your head down. No, my message is don't worry about, uh, the here and now do the best you can to protect the, uh, those that can't protect themselves. Even if, you don't get your reward now. That's true. You'll get your reward in heaven. That's for sure. Well, good points, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. you. Take care, Patrick. You got it. Thank you. Um, How about Tom now in Tucson? Hi, Tom. What do you think? Yeah, good morning. You know, it kind of occurred to me, um, just kind of listening through this, um, just again, to set it straight, I'm absolutely opposed to this. 
Mm-hmm. But if you were to implement a system of reparations, wouldn't it stand a reason that you'd actually implement it through the Catholic Church? I mean, we're the only organizational, you know, through history to show and mm-hmm. to always and forever be against um, slavery in any form. It doesn't have anything to do with race. It has to enslaving another person. You certainly can't deploy reparations through things like Planned Parenthood. I mean, Margaret Sanger was a racist. They, they, they you know, mm-hmm. they don't like black people. You can't use them. You can't use Harvard. They're racist. They've got the money. So you, so you can't implement reparations through racist organizations. But what about implementing it through the Catholic Church? And wouldn't that mean the Catholics deserve reparations? Well, let's, let's think about that. There are several things that come to my mind as you propose that, Tom. And I know that you're being somewhat tongue-in-cheek, and maybe not entirely. Um, yeah. I think the popular mindset now would be the Catholic Church, forget about it. Those people, you know, with the sex abuse scandals of the priests— and, you know, they're a nonprofit anyway, so they're making lots and lots of money and they don't have to pay taxes. Um, you'd probably, first of all, face that kind of a backlash. Um, and then you'd, be, you'd have the more astute people. That's sort of a more low information kind of argument that would be made. But the more astute people would say, well, wait a doggone minute here, because the Jesuits, like at Georgetown, for example, the Jesuit right. priests own slaves. You know, the Jesuit order of priests owned slaves in this country. And the Jesuits now have been taking some steps to try to offer their own set of reparations. And I think that's a noble response on their part to try to repair as best they can, which is virtually impossible, but to to do some kind of reparation for the fact that they did once own slaves. That's going to come back and bite people. You know, they'll point out, well, what about all the Catholic folk who owned slaves? Maybe it's the Catholic Church who should be paying reparations itself, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I don't hold those views, but you're likely to hear that from people who have even a modicum of historical information, you know. Right. Yeah, because there's always going to be people of our faith that participate in evil. That's, that's our human nature, right? That's we're, we're, None of us are perfect, right? <laughs> we're called to try to be. But no, I guess you're, you're right. But it just occurred to me that maybe from an educational standpoint— and you're, and you're right, right? I was being tongue-in-cheek a little bit. But in an honesty side of it, though, I mean, I think the conversation really has to be when you look at organizations like, I mean, and I don't want to cause trouble, but if you look at the NAACP, my children can't apply for scholarships because it's a racist organization. Well, you talk about the National Advancement for Colored People that was established for the very purpose of, if you don't mind me jumping in, Tom, it was established during the time of Reconstruction for the very purpose of helping the black people who, yes, legally had been emancipated. They were no longer technically slaves, but they were terrorized and, uh, you know, lynched very often. And they were, so many doors to society were barred to them. And they were still living, although not technically in slavery, they were living definitely in a a very disadvantaged way. And so lots of these institutions of higher learning would never even think of allowing a black man or black woman to attend uh, school there. Princeton, forget about it. I mean, that changed eventually when Woodrow Wilson uh, became president of Princeton. But, I mean, there was a, a decided wall 
in place preventing black people from getting education, at least at that level, in this country. So organizations like the NAACP had very good reasons for starting, and they had they had noble aspirations. Now, like any other bureaucracy, uh, this is my thesis, bureaucracies tend to corrupt. And I haven't kept tabs on how things are with them right now, but their origins were sound in my view, and they were noble. But I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it's gone to a point where they are actually holding the door now, barring white people, which of course would be another form of, of discrimination. I don't know the answer to that question, Tom. But anyway, well, I, I agree with your I agree with your thesis. Um, I'll I'll sign on as a contributor if you uh, need more signatures. I I think you're <laughs> absolutely right. I think it's the you know the corruption through power is a kind of a human condition, and those organizations kind of miss their mark after a while. They run their turn, right? Yeah. Yes, and passions are inflamed, and people are angry and polarized, and sadly, racism. Let's say in the last twenty years has suffered some really terrible setbacks. I thought we were making a lot of progress. And yeah, it's actually, I, I've seen a slide as well. I, in fact, I tell mm-hmm. my children that all the time. I, it, it's My children are in their 20s, and it makes me sad because they are more subject to it than I was. I mean, I, I, I didn't... I mean, you have an ignorance of what you don't know because mm-hmm. you're not comfortable with your environment, but that happens across everything. I mean, that's every group of people. That's not racism. That's just, you're not comfortable until you are familiar with your settings. But yeah, I really realize that my children have a much harder challenge with it. And I mean, they even asked me, they're like, yeah, dad, your friends are all over the place. I'm like, well, yeah, I was lucky. I kind of lived where I saw the person. Again, I was raised as a Catholic and Mm -hmm. we have, you know, all God's people are in our church. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, and and I don't know how old you are. I'm guessing you and I are probably not that far off in age. And when I was growing up in the '60s, in my childhood way, I observed on TV and things, you know, the race riots and the the assassination. I remember my my mom and dad. We were traveling somewhere. I don't remember where we were, but we were in a hotel room traveling to go visit grandma or something. I don't remember what, but we were in a hotel room when um, the news of uh, Martin Luther King's assassination broke and we were watching it on TV in the hotel room. That's the, only, that's the one thing I remember about it. So I have a kind of childhood memory of some of those things, the assassinations and the race riots. and things. I didn't really pay any attention to it then. And in suburbia, I mean, there weren't very many black kids in the area where I grew up. So there were some, but not that many. So it never was really something I had to deal with, unlike people in the inner cities or in places where there was much more racial diversity. Um, so I, I can't say that, and maybe you're saying the same thing, Tom, that you didn't personally experience it, but right. you know about it. So Yeah, that's fair. I, I'm a few years junior than you. Um, I grew mm-hmm. up more with the A-team and the Jeffersons and all, you know. So Mr. I'm, T. Uh, Mr. T, that's right. Mm-hmm. I pity a fool. Yeah. <laughs> Fools, I pity them. Well, Tom, yeah, I get it. Um, So if you were king for a day or president for a day, if you could enact some kind of significant changes for the better in the area of, um, you know, anything, racism or helping people who have been disadvantaged, anything come to mind? 
Or is it just oh, too yeah, big of a gargantuan task? No, 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 no. That's an, actually an easy one. Go to church, find a priest, have a good confession, receive the Eucharist. Uh, that's that's the prescription, right? Return yeah. to faith, return to faith, return to faith. That If I was king for the day, I would say return to faith. And I, and I would not say implement, you know, mm-hmm. it has to be this faith. That's what I'm saying. But it would be a call to prayer, a calm but a firm call to prayer and set the example. If you don't lead by example, I mean, you can tell people what to do, but everybody sees through that. They know you're a fool. (laughs) You're just telling people what to do. Go yourself. I mean, President Biden, go to mass, go to mass. He, you know, I'm not a Biden fan by any stretch of the imagination at, at all, but he does go to mass, oddly enough, far more regularly than um, other presidents tend to do. So, well, he goes to mass more regularly than my children do, which really hurts. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, we have to take a break, Tom. Interesting conversation, that's for sure. Thank you. If I were president for a day, if I could have, put it this way, if I could have three wishes, one of them would be to be president for I don't know ten years, so I'd have enough time to get everything done. It would take a while. It's like trying to turn the. Uh, a huge ocean liner. You can't do it right away. It's going to take some time. And we don't have that kind of time, do we? Uh, 888-914-9149, sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Quick timeout. We'll be right back. Peter Pooh goes home crying to his mama. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Mm-hmm. I know why you're playing this song, Cyrus. It's good, though. Today's the Walk for Life. And uh, if you're on your way to the Walk for Life in Washington, D.C., Godspeed and safe travels. Grab a coat. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of snow on the ground. But some people like it. They like the snow. And if you are not able to go to D.C. for the Walk for Life today, the March for Life, excuse me, um, you can participate by fasting. Excuse me, fasting for life. You can offer a little something up, maybe abstain from your favorite food today or limit your intake or do something else creative. A lot of good ideas for that at relevantradio.com slash fast. You can go there to check it out. While you're there, by the way, let us know where you'd like us to send you this brand new booklet we have on on how you can hold your own in a conversation with a pro-abortion person. They seem to have all the arguments, don't they? Well, they really don't. And the arguments they do use are lame. And you can slice through that, you know, what pretty easily when you read this booklet that we have for you. So go to relevantradio.com slash fast, pick up some creative ideas for what you can do today to participate from wherever you are, and then order that free e-booklet. It's free. It'll be in your email box momentarily. You have kids at college, you have kids in high school, you want to train up your homeschooled kids who are at the kitchen table right now doing their math. Go there and get this free booklet. There's no cost, and you can share it with them, and that will definitely help them hold their own when the time comes. That's relevantradio.com slash fast. Hey, Patrick. Yeah. It also, on the app, it's super easy. It Just open up your Relevant Radio app, and there's a banner oh, right at the yes. top that says Fast for Life. Just click on that, and it sends you to the, all of the same 
Uh, all the same info. You come up with all the great ideas, Cyrus. Oh, don't make that into a hockey, okay? Please don't. <laughs> but yeah, I see it. it's right at the very top. The young mom's holding a little baby fast for life. Just tap it. Is that right? Yeah, tap it. Boom, you're in. There it is. Hey, and hey, my smiling face is there. Hey, right at the look bottom. at that. Yeah, look at me. It's when my mustache was still dark. It wasn't black. In, it used to be, but not anymore. Oh, by the way, the free ebook is called The Choice is Love. And you get that when you sign up at relevantradio.com slash fast or on the Relevant Radio app. Thank you for that, Cyrus. Speaking of, of you, Cyrus, in talking uh, about work and hard work and not hard work, um, I didn't want to do this on the air, but I think I'm going to. Uh, I'm friends with some of the people in HR. I'm not going to say whom. And did you know that your last review was recorded? Did you know that? What? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, it was recorded. It was all in jest, Patrick. It was all in jest. So they say. Well, I want to just share with you and our audience. You know, people, I think people think you work really hard around here. Uh, but in your own words, this is you describing a typical workday. So I'm just listen. Don't do anything. Don't move. I'm going to press play. Here goes from your last review session. Listen. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door. That way Lumber can't see me. <laughs> and after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Tell but, uh, space out? Yeah. I just stare at my desk, but it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you even admit that? Uh, well, what's funny is they gave me a promotion after that. Yeah, they did. Bumped you up to the Patrick Madrid show. That's right. Well done. 888-914-9149. Have a, a message here on Twitter. This is from Radical Mothering. And I know your real name, Radical Mothering. I met you and your husband and some of your kids some years ago. She's a charter member of Team Taco. And she says, everyone's discussing reparations like slavery has actually ended. Instead of arguing about getting paid, why aren't more people interested in ending modern slavery in the sex trade? human and child trafficking, lithium mining for smart smart cars and smartphones, etc. Well, that's a whole can of worms, but you're right. You're right, Radical. I mean, Mrs. Radical, uh, you're right about that. There is a whole other slave trade underway right now, big time, and nobody seems to be asking for reparations for that. How, where does it end, and how do you implement it? That's part of the problem. Thank you for that. Uh, let's go to Karen in Cincinnati. Hi, Karen. Hey, Patrick. How are you? Oh, I'm not doing well. Thank you. That. Um, just to make a quick comment. Um, you know, coming out of the corporate world, when we wanted to solve a problem, we had to get down to the root cause of things because if you don't fix the source of the problem, you you, you keep dealing with the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And a few years ago, I had heard, and I'm not part of the Cincinnati Public Schools, but I had heard that they had to change their education or their graduation requirements because too many of the seniors didn't. We, they didn't make the grade, and they wouldn't have graduated. So they had to lower their standards mm -hmm. to make room for the incoming kids into high school. We've got to get back to education. We've got to train our people, our kids, when they get out of school, that they, they've, got, they've got the skills they need to, to begin building their lives. Let me ask you a question about that. I mean, that's, I guess I'm in— That's only a piece of it. 
I'm in devil's advocate mode right now, Karen. I, I agree with I know, you. I've been listening. <laughs> <laughs> so here's how I play devil's advocate. How do you deal with, okay, so this is a set, this is kind of a, a pre-question. This is a um, preamble here. How do you deal with a teacher's union that is completely sold out to the leftist ideologies and even to the point now, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I deeply value and am grateful for all the good teachers out there who selflessly work so hard for, for so little pay. Um, I acknowledge that and I want to emphasize that, but that doesn't describe all teachers. And in some cases, you have incompetent teachers who, who are not working hard. Thankfully, they're in the minority. And um, they they won't rise to the challenge. This is to your point, Karen. They won't rise to the challenge. They won't put in the effort and let go of these destructive ideologies to do the right things for the kids so that they can raise their test scores and learn, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how do you deal with that, that entrenched element within the greater body of public school teachers, most of whom I would take my hat off to and salute them for all the hard work that they do. But what about the entrenched minority who are stopping what you're describing from happening? Totally agree. Um, and of course, the it's a multifaceted solution. And, mm-hmm. and one would be take your kids out of school and put them in, put them in public, private school if you can, homeschool. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's not the reality for a lot of people. We, we've lost our moral compass. And I, and I I don't think there's an easy solution. I, I truly don't think there's an easy solution. And I think we have, but it's multifaceted. And I think that the communities that are affected, and whether they're African American or they're you know Caucasian or whatever, mm-hmm. the parents have to take the bull by the horns and make a difference for their individual kids. And when that yeah. starts to happen, I think we'll start to see change. But it's not going to happen overnight. I agree, and I'm afraid to say that it's got it's sunk it's sunk into the point now, where enough of the parents are already zombied out themselves, and mm-hmm. and no longer really even see some of these issues that you're describing. Much less do they f- have a sense of compunction that they have to get in there and and do the difficult things to make it like to make life better for their children, um, because quite frankly, many of the parents today grew up in the same kind of environment. You know, the victimhood environment and the intersectional oppression environment that they were taught in public schools. So it's a self-perpetuating problem, and we have to somehow figure out a way to break this syndrome. And maybe your point is is the right one, and that is maybe move more and more toward homeschooling in which the kids are not subject to this kind of ideology. Catholic schools. I'd love to see more Catholic schools being built. Yeah. Have you got time for a quick story? If my grandson will listen, Real he quick. would kill me. But <laughs> Real. He got, well, you know why I say that? Because everybody and his brother will want to call in and tell a story. We can't do that. But I'll let you. I'm going to give you a waiver, Karen. Go ahead. Okay. Thank you so much. But when he got out of high school, he decided that he wasn't going to college and he wasn't going to get a job until he decided what he wanted to do. Now, he's like 18, right? So I said, okay, well you're on the path to homelessness and here's what it looks like for you. I got a tent. I put it in my backyard and he lived in that tent for more than a few weeks Mm -hmm. with, with restricted privileges to the house. And he finally got it. He went to school, he got a degree, he's a homeowner, but 
you know, I mean, sometimes you have to do the hard thing. And um, we joke about the tent now, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. he didn't think it was too funny at the time. Um, he was living in a tent down by the river, so to speak, right? Well, he was in my backyard in a safe environment. <laughs> I didn't put him down by the river. <laughs> I could watch him every day. That, <laughs> but um, That sounds good. But, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Well, thanks, Karen. All right. Well, thanks, thanks for letting me call in. You're most welcome. Thank you. Uh, plenty more ahead, and we're not taking a break quite yet, uh, but I, I do have some news from LeVar Burton. You may remember him from Roots. He was a star in that television uh, miniseries, very powerful. And also he was in, was it Star Trek The Next Generation? Was that the name of that franchise, Cyrus? You know it. Okay. So we're going to do a little LeVar Burton stuff. It, it, it does tie into this. You'll find that interesting. Also a little bit of Morgan Freeman stuff. We're going to do that too. First, though, uh, I want to get to Casimir in uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And Casimir, dis- there he is, disappeared off my screen. So Casimir in Columbus, Ohio, welcome. Yeah. I'm still here. Okay, great. Welcome. He, uh, um, Mary at the Miracle of Fatima said that uh, God uses wars to punish humans. Mm -hmm. And then I recall that the second commandment says to love your neighbor. So when you think about that, I know it's kind of uh, not direct, but... This is how God looks at it. Love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. I agree. Jesus said the greatest of the commandments is to love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is right. like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That's true. So t- make the connection for me. I'm not making the connection between Our Lady of Fatima and war and that. Well, um, I always thought that God tries to level things out as far as punishments because of all the sin in the world. And I remembered one quote I heard that the second coming of Jesus will be to keep all the humans from destroying flesh on earth. And that made sense Mm. because that's kind of what the the end of the world will be. Mm Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I know Jesus did say that uh, if it were not for, if it were not that those days be shortened, the time of tribulation, then even the elect would be deceived. And so, for the sake of the elect, those who are destined for heaven, that God will shorten the time of tribulation because it could be a whole lot worse, I guess. Well, interesting idea, Casimir. Thank you. I appreciate that, Cyrus. Uh, before we get to Lavar Burton, I think you have some Morgan Freeman commentary on the issue of, well, he's sort of being asked about uh, some of the things we've talked about today, reparations and uh, the, the difficulties that followed in the wave, in the wake of slavery, etc. And he has some thoughts about this. Black History Month, you find ridiculous. This is Charlie Rose, by the way. You're going to relegate my history to a month? pause for a second. This is an interview with the disgraced Charlie Rose. And back before his um, personal life was sort of plastered all over the, the media. But uh, he's interviewing Morgan Freeman, the actor. And can you start from the top, Cyrus, because his opening words kind of set the tone for this discussion. Black History Month, you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you do with yours? 
What, which month is Life History Month? No, well, no, 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 come on, tell me. Well, the, I'm Jewish. Okay, which I'm month sorry. is Jewish History Month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh, oh, why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no, no. I, 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 I don't either. I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is American history. How are we going to get rid of racism? Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. I know you as Mike Wallace. You know me as Morgan Freeman. You're oh, sorry, Mike Wallace. I thought it was Charlie Rose. Oops. Sorry. Morgan Freeman. Doesn't he play God on like every movie? <laughs> yeah, right. In the president, he narrates on every movie? everything. Yeah, what a voice! And he's got a good point. He's got a great point. So, how long is the Levar Burton thing? It's really Should we do short. that after the break. It's really short, and it ties it ties well in with what Morgan Freeman was just saying. Okay, why don't we listen to LeVar Burton? So once again, you may remember him if you saw Roots. If you didn't see Roots, it'd be worth watching again. It's quite good. And it's all about the history of slavery in these United States. He plays a slave. He's 66, year old, 66 years old now. And he he's getting some unexpected news. Here it goes. Wow, that's him. You are looking at your great-great-grandfather, James Henry Dixon. A white man. It's difficult to make out, but that's, that is your biological great-great-grandfather. Now, I'd have fought you five <laughs> minutes ago if you told me that I had a white great-great-grandfather. You do. You can fight me, but it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> and ain't nothing you can do about it. Kunta got white ancestry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What? Yeah. Come on now, Skip. You know, you took two DNA tests. The two major commercial DNA tests almost never have tested an African-American who was 100% sub-Saharan African. Wow. We all have white ancestry. But this is close. That's right. But this is close. And by name. <sighs> <sighs> I can only imagine his shock. Um, and... His great-great-great-grandfather was uh, a soldier in the Confederate Army during the Civil War, fighting to protect slavery. I mean, that's got to be a double whammy if ever there were one. Um, there's an article about this uh, startling discovery that LeVar Burton made, and this is uh, NBC News. And uh, this interview that you're hearing a little bit of is from the PBS series Finding Your Roots. LeVar Burton rose to fame as a child actor in the TV adaptation of Alex Haley's Roots, the miniseries that hosts Henry Louis Gates, cited as an inspiration for the PBS show. He also went on to star in Star Trek The Next Generation, also Reading Rainbow. Somehow I missed Reading Rainbow, Cyrus. That was the thing for kids to teach literacy, right? It was gold. I loved Reading Rainbow. I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. not quite Mr. Rogers level, but uh, definitely a, a special place in my heart for Reading Still Rainbow. Still good. Yep. On the PBS show, he discovered a hidden family secret. Uh, this is the one that you just heard a moment ago. Uh, LeVar Burton learned that a great-great-grandmother on his mother's side, Mary Sills, was raised by a man that she thought was her biological father but wasn't. And Burton knew her, his great-great-grandmother, when he was a young boy. Sills was the biological daughter of a white farmer named James Henry Dixon, whose name you heard a moment ago, who had a wife and a family at the time of her birth. 
And she was the other family on the other side, says Burton in shock. Were you expecting that? Gates asked him. Did you have any idea that you had a white ancestor? And Burton shook his head and laughed, said, no, I had no idea. So Granny was half white. Wow. Then Gates revealed that Dixon served in the Confederate Army. Are you kidding me? LeVar Burton says. I did not see this coming. I'll bet he didn't. Gates and Dixon most likely never saw battle, or he said that Dixon most likely never saw battle because he was part of the junior reserves, probably guard duty. But he served in the Confederate Army, whose goal was to protect slavery. And then later in life, Dixon had a child with a woman who had been born into slavery. LeVar Burton says, I often wonder about white men of the period and how they justify to themselves their relations with black women, especially those in an unbalanced power dynamic. There has to be a powerful disconnect created emotionally and mentally. So it's possible, he says, in my mind, that he could have contemplated and was conflicted at worst and maybe repentant at best. And then there's the possibility that he didn't think about it at all. And there's no way to know because he's gone now. But um, what an interesting turn of events, a twist, so to speak, of events where LeVar Burton is part white. He has a white ancestor. And from what they're saying, it's not that uncommon. Probably and it's very common. They they said, well, here, listen, listen to this. This part really... Spoke out. Mm -hmm. The two major commercial DNA tests almost never have tested an African-American who was 100% sub-Saharan African. Wow. We all have white ancestors. Whoa. Yeah. Talk about a paradigm shift. And, and, and I like that. Oh, it's great. I mean, some people probably would really dislike hearing that, but I think it's a good thing. There is something to be said for the melting pot. And diversity, I mean... I'm against destructive ideologies that use diversity as a weapon and do bad things with it. But true diversity is a good thing. True um, diversity and tolerance of people of, of various skin colors and ethnicities, that's always going to be a good thing. It's an antidote to racism. But nowadays, these terms are being used in a form of sort of reverse discrimination. And that's not good. Anyway, I wanted you to hear that. It's an interesting thing. Certainly interesting for LeVar Burton, no doubt. I don't know how that changes his view of things, but um, one can hope for the best, right? 888-914-9149 is the number. We're going to get to phone calls right after this. Today, we'd like to thank Vincent, who's listening in California, for donating his 1971 Chevy El Camino. Right on. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio. Okay, once again, let me explain the musical choices on the show today. Uh, today is the annual March for Life in Washington, D.C., a great thing. And I know countless people like to go there. The snow's going to get in the way a little bit today, apparently. 
But uh, safe travels if you're on your way there. And if you can't be there in person, don't worry. You can still participate in a creative way wherever you are. You can go to relevantradio.com slash fast and pick up some ideas for how to do a little suffering in your life today. Do a little bit of uh, penance for the um, sake of abortion in solidarity with the unborn babies and the marchers. Alan from Attleboro, Massachusetts says he's going to be fasting from negative thoughts. That's cool. Uh, Dennis from Dayton, Ohio says, I'm going to fast from chocolate and my bad attitude at work. You know, maybe having chocolate will give you a better attitude. So that's real fasting, Dennis, to eliminate the chocolate and the bad attitude. I like it. And you can let us know what you're going to do by going to relevantradio.com slash fast. And when you're there, just tell us where you'd like us to email a brand new booklet on how you can talk about the pro-life cause intelligently and without getting put on the defensive. This is good for your kids, your grandkids, your kids off at college, high school, what have you, and you yourself, and it's free. And if you go to the Relevant Radio app, tap the app, you'll see it right at the very top, the young mom with a little baby, and they're smiling and they're happy because today's the March for Life. Tap on that, and you'll see a copy of this booklet. And it's yours for free when you sign up there. All free, of course. 888-914-9149. Let's go now to Michael in Arlington, Arlington Heights, Illinois. Excuse me. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Patrick. Nice listening to you, and I've enjoyed your show for a couple of years now. Well, thank you. Appreciate Um, that. I've got just a potpourri of things. You're the you're the articulate one, so you could just put these together, but they all kind of uh, apply to what you've been speaking about. Okay. I enjoy the Morgan Freeman cut as well, and uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I guess we're all Octoroon, which is one-eighth black anyway. Everybody is an It's fine with me. You heard that? It's fine with me, if that's the case, yeah. Well, I mean, so the reparations... I, you know, when I listen to that word, I, I used to teach school, and I'm in the music business, but reparations and, and owing something to somebody, I'm just going to be as concise as I can with this. As an individual, I don't go around saying, uh, for example, I, I've i got to be friendly to somebody of another color or another ethnic background just because I'm supposed to do that. I do that because... You want to be kind to other people. That's the bottom line, just like you stated in the, in the second commandment. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of this is just such golden rule common sense. Um, but what I wanted to mention about the, the reverse discrimination and so forth as well, and this may sound like it's off the subject, but it's not because it's holding on to something that, that's negative that's not necessary. My family, unfortunately, there were three different situations over the years from when I was 10 years old that were attacked. And it just happened to be by African-American individuals, misguided, and, and it is what it is. However, I have many African-American friends. And, you know, I, I didn't hold on to these cataclysmic situations that happened where my dad and I and my mother got kind of attacked in Milwaukee. Uh, at knife point mm-hmm. and things like that, and and suddenly have this disdain and hatred for the black community. I don't. I, uh, I've had, since I lost my mother and father over the last 15 years, my mother in 2017, uh, I've had more compassion come from some of the black people that I know and ones that are just 
uh, casual acquaintances than I have for my own immediate family. So, Do you think that your family was attacked, Michael, because of hatred on the part of the attackers because you and your family were white or were you being robbed or what 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 gave rise to this incident? The, the, the latter. When we were held up in Milwaukee, it was it was my mother's purse was taken and my dad was cut. My mother was thrown against the car and situations like mm-hmm. that. Um, but I'm just saying I don't I don't look with fear or animosity at a black individual. I say hello to people because I like to be friendly to people. And some people are friendly and some do this, what you've been referring to, this reverse uh, discrimination. Uh, and and almost I feel uncomfortable at times because I'm thinking, are they thinking that I'm saying hide them because I'm a white guy? And, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, appeasing them, if you will. I mean, we see it in, in commercials, I've noticed, where, where – uh, the African community is doing most of the commercials on, on television now. And I understand where, where, how corporate think and why they're doing those types mm-hmm. of things. I don't know how that's helping the African-American community. I, they're more concerned about getting their, their neighborhoods and getting good school systems. And, yeah. and so one forth. book that I've read that, you know, and I, I'm reading through it, I guess would be a better way to put it. It's a book I purchased called Critical Race Theory, The Key Writings That Formed the Movement. And the main editor is Cornell West. And it's as big as a telephone book. And what you're describing about the commercials, just to kind of touch on that for a minute, is called decentering whiteness. That's the term that's used. To decenter whiteness means that heretofore, it was objectionable in the minds of people such as those who contributed to this book, it was objectionable that every or almost every commercial featured white people. Therefore, to decenter whiteness, one way to do that is to more and more not hire white people to be actors in commercials and to hire black people. So this is this is a, a concerted effort. I don't care. I don't care. I'll still buy the same toothpaste. If a black woman is brushing her teeth in, on the TV, or if a white woman brushed her teeth with a, with Crest, um, I'm going to buy the product. I don't care if, if the person in the commercial is black or any other color. But the people who are promoting critical race theory are intentionally using these kinds of levers as a way to culturally shift as much as possible away from whiteness, even though, you know, this number is going down, of course, um, the number of white people in this country still predominates as the majority of people. That number is dwindling, though, and eventually it's going to become a minority unto itself. I don't care. It doesn't bother me a bit. But for them, it's a way of not only emphasizing black people in commercials, for example, but it's also a kind of subtle effort to try to punish white people or make them uncomfortable. And if they if these commercials, I don't get the impression that they make you uncomfortable, Michael, you're probably like me. I don't care. <laughs> if every commercial featured black people, that would be a little bit odd, but it wouldn't bother me. But for some people, it does bother them. And that's part of this decentering of whiteness. They want to punish white people for the real and perceived grievances that they have. That's part of what you're witnessing, Michael. In this book, on critical race theory really bears that out. Well, exactly. And Patrick, I don't want to take your time. I've got two other 
things I want to mention real quick. When, when we're talking about this word reparation and, oh, you owe me and I'm going to hold on to a, a, a grudge that I've had, whether it's back in the Civil War times or... Uh, How would you summarize it? Because we're short on time, Michael. I was in a mind science for a long time. I can't sit there and, and go against the church that's that's dissipating by the by the hour and say I, I, I've suffered uh, uh, mental slavery from from uh, uh, a non Christian uh, organization. But what I wanted to do sometimes to check out because we keep using the word uh, African American. I, I I played for Smokey Robinson. He's a great guy. And he's exactly the way you see him. He's a wonderful individual. And he, there's an article that's... Michael, I don't have time. Can you summarize the point you wanted to make? Yes, that Smokey says, I'm not an African-American. And that's just something to, to look at. And What does he... I mean, obviously he's black, but I mean, what does he say that he, he is? Says, he that, says, I'm just an American? I worked as, as black, white, purple, whatever color. I worked to, to very hard to be a musician and a vocalist over the years. And it has nothing to do with my ethnicity. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a mm -hmm. French Caucasian if I want to look at myself like that, but that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's, thanks for the input, Michael. I appreciate it. That's essentially what in that short snippet with um, Mike Wallace, and I apologize again, I thought it was uh, Charlie Rose. But Mike Wallace asked about Black History Month. Why don't you like it? Why do you think it's wrong? And Morgan Freeman had much the same thing to say. I mean, if you want to stop racism, stop talking about it. It's become such a talking point in the last 20 years or so that it has not only revived a lot of, I think, dormant or maybe even receding racial hatred or racial tension, it's stoking it now. It, it's proactively stoking racial hatred among Americans and elsewhere as well, which is, again, part of the bigger picture that we play into this question about reparations. And if you're just tuning in right now, earlier in the program, I played for you a snippet of a debate in Cambridge and a gentleman who's from India, it appears. He's either from India or Pakistan, but he's as British as, as you can be in terms of his, his accent and such. And he's making the case for why, in the UK at least, reparations for slavery is, as he puts it, a ridiculous idea. And he gives all the reasons why. And so I would encourage you, even though we're heading into the third hour right now, we, we won't be playing that audio again, but you really should hear it. And if you want to see it, you can see it on my Twitter feed, at Patrick Madrid. You'll see the video of this. Uh, also, thanks to Calvin Robinson, who posted it on Twitter in the first place. That's how I discovered it. And uh, if you listen to that, go back and listen to the first part of the show today, and it will give you a lot of context so that you'll say, oh, okay, now I understand. Why are they talking about race? Why are they talking about reparations? It had to do with that presentation at Cambridge. Very, very interesting. I'll be at, right back with more, plenty more, including your phone calls right after this. Now, 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 now.